Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus. Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. It is impossible to build one's own happiness on the unhappiness of others. Welcome to The Whole of the Law, the 133rd episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Buddhist philosopher and peace advocate Daisuke Ikeda. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meat. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And I am drinking some rum and Diet Mountain Dew right now, and it tastes very good. Does it? Yes, it does. Surprisingly. <laughs> the last of the old-fashioned mix, a little bit of orange juice, because we had very little old-fashioned mix left, some mm-hmm. rum, and a Luigi's Ice. <laughs> very nice. I'll, well, I'll, I'll just yeah. in a mug. And Carr has already imbibed his uh-huh. beverages. What are you trying to say? <laughs> We're Jesus catching up. Crying. We're catching up. We're catching up. But we're talking about morals. Yes. So, you know. Uh, morals and, and the, the various systems, and systems of them in, in pagan practices in particular. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let me. Yes. Uh, let's do our housekeeping. While, while we're on housekeeping, we have. We have some new patrons. We have new patrons and they are. Okay. Zacchaeus Upgraded. Oh. From Cat to Hunter. Oh, thank you, Zacchaeus. Thank you for, for joining us in the Hunter tier, Zacchaeus. Remember to join us in the Discord uh, in the Patreon questions channel. Melissa Negron Schilling joined us at the one of those levels. It's it's below Jaguar, so Leopard. Leopard. Yes, you're okay. right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Melissa, you can join us in the Get Vocal, where you can watch our shenanigans, which is not recorded. That's right. Sarah O'Dell joined us at the Cat level. Thank Welcome, you. Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. And David Dashi Dash feed keys actually went year long. Cool. And Kai Oakenshield went from cat to hunter. Thank you, uh, Thank you, Kai. Kai. We've got lots of people moving into the and hunter level. Brianna Beep Boop <laughs> became a new hunter. Excellent. All right, Amazing. cool. Welcome. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Mm-hmm. And of course, thank you to all the pride, which somebody was confused about that today. So I want to reiterate, all of our right. listeners are, are members the of the pride. Yes. Yep. Everyone, whether you're part of our Patreon or not, is, yep. is part of the pride. Just yep. being listening and being part of this community makes you part of the pride. That's right. Patrons so, are, are just extra. So anyway, I just yeah. wanted to clarify that one more time for new listeners. Yes. That everyone is everyone. part of the pride. Do the remainder of housekeeping. Car, talk about the things you do as best you can. Because <laughs> the face you just gave me was hilarious. So normally on Sundays from 2 to 4, I am on Discord and you can join that via either the Discord or the Facebook page and it has no meaning, no purpose, no anything. It's just I like people way more than I don't like people. And so hanging out online is the best I can do at this point with COVID. Car is a true extrovert. And so join us on that chat that is on, that's the Zoom chat. And then... (laughs) Zoom. <laughs> and then on every other Tuesday, so not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, I do a thing with Sarenth Odinson and Malik Odinson that is called Three Pagans on Tap. Three Pagans, only two Odinsons. That's right, right, only two Odinsons. <laughs> 
And you can find that on YouTube or Facebook at Three Pagans on Tap. And we talk about alcohol and how it affects our relationship with our gods and how we do our practices. Some of that bleeds over into this show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Oh what gosh. is it that you do, Gwen? Yeah, Gwen, talk um, about your stuff. Well, I am currently, obviously, writing for Three Pagans and a Cat <laughs> on Patheos Pagan. And I want to direct everybody to the book review that I finally got accomplished. The fabled review. The fabled book review. It's a book called Roots, Branches, and Spirits by H. Byron Ballard. It is um, about the folkways and witchery of Appalachia. And I really highly recommend reading this book. It is not a beginner level book. It's more of a sort of intermediate to seasoned witch book, but it's beautiful. It, it's about, it's got history. It's got her stories because she was raised in Appalachia. She intersperses knowledge about folk witchcraft and yeah. all kinds of wonderful things. So check out the book review and then go buy a copy of her book. It's also available on Audible. It's just, it's awesome. So on the Zoom call today, a question came up because Sarenth posted an article about Malachite being not being safe for dot dot dot. We'll say delicate flesh. So it was decided that we needed to ask Ode, what stones would be safe for such uses? I assume you're talking about vaginal insertion, and the answer is none. That's right. Oh, there you go. Zero stones. <laughs> if a reputable sex toy company isn't making a dildo out of it, don't put it inside your vagina. There you period. Go. <laughs> I'm just what saying. I, what I miss when I don't do the Zoom call. We don't usually take questions in, during this. And uh, and I think that's all our housekeeping. That, we're house kept? And house swept. There we go. Well, <laughs> we, are we are an explicit podcast. podcast. Yes. We're marked that way. We are not afraid to talk <laughs> about various topics, and that includes sex. Yep. Yes, so, I said the word. Melkor <laughs> said, I need a sound bite of that so I can send it to people I know. <laughs> oh, what are we talking about? We've been asked a couple of times mm-hmm. during the course of this podcast to talk about things like karma or the, the threefold, threefold law, law or just sort of general ethics. Ethics, those those topics of reciprocity, I mm-hmm. guess, in general, universal reciprocity. The Wiccan read. Right. We've mentioned it occasionally in the middle of other episodes and then sort of demurred and said, that'll need a whole episode t- to dig into. So, so here we, uh, we're on that other episode uh-huh, now. Uh-huh, yeah. Here, here finally, 133 episodes in, I have scheduled it. There are are a lot of different approaches that you can take to morals and ethical systems, mm-hmm. right? And we're not going to get in depth into all of them. No, we get in depth into a couple of them. It, but go ahead. We have a few that we're going to sort of focus on. We're not going yeah. to like. I'm not a philosopher. I can't have like an intense debate with you on the difference between utilitarianism and deontological ethics. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what they are. I know the basic precepts, and that's about it. Yeah, there are actual philosophers you should go to if you want more complex to understand. Uh, analyses of, of those subjects. Yep. Who would those be? One that I really like yeah. is Philosophy Tube on, okay. on YouTube. YouTube. She has really creative presentations of complex philosophical subjects. Mm-hmm. And so if you go back to some of her older work in particular, she discusses more like straight philosophy and then she gets into more practical applications and stuff in her more recent work. And she gets increasingly dramatic over time. I think part of the reason that we decided mm-hmm. to, discuss to, to discuss this, this topic is because every now and then in a discussion um, mm-hmm. whether it's on Facebook or Discord Especially or if you if we start talking about baneful, baneful magic, magic you'll get someone who says 
the threefold law. Watch out for the threefold mm-hmm. law. You don't want to draw that negativity to you or you don't want the blowback from it. Or mm-hmm. sometimes it's very just mild and sometimes it's like people are freaking this is the a fuck legal out. Commandment, this is, this yeah. is a legal commandment. And not everybody follows the threefold law. None of us here subscribe to the threefold law, partly because the, the threefold law, the rule of three, is an explicitly Wiccan precept. Mm-hmm. Right. It is a tenet by some, not all Wiccans anymore, but some mm-hmm. Wiccans and neo pagans and other occultists. What it states is whatever energy a person puts out into the world, positive or negative, will be returned to that person three times. And sometimes it's described as karma or a view or it's viewed as karma. Mm-hmm. We'll it's, talk about karma later. Yes, we will. It's basically a cause and effect kind of system. Now, according to uh, occult historian John Coughlin, it describes you know, it describes reward or punishment, which are tied to one's actions, particularly when it comes to a magical working. And there are many who view the threefold law, even though there's quite a contingent, especially newer witches who mm-hmm. really glom onto it. And it's newer Wiccans, newer Wiccans yeah. really, really latch onto it. But a lot of other Wiccans and occultists believe that it is basically kind of an over elaboration of either the Wiccan read or is strongly influenced by the sowing and reaping philosophy or belief in Christianity that's talked about in Galatians 6, 7. So, and then the other possible reference for where it came from is Magic's High Aid by Gardner, his novel, which there it says, and this is the actual quote, thou hast obeyed the law. But mark well, when thou receivest good, so equally art bound to return good threefold. So a lot of people think that that was kind of overinflated to mm-hmm. be a law. Let me bring up that it is a book of fiction. Right, yeah. That, this is Gardner's pre-the-establishment of Wicca, Wicca. as a religion. Yep. This was this was his novel. And according to the research I did, Monique Wilson, Raymond Buckland, and Lady Gwen Thompson are pretty much credited with popularizing this mm-hmm. concept. It's been over-exaggerated or misunderstood. Rhiannon has an, has an interesting comment here. Rhiannon says the threefold law always sounded like a way to just judge people and victim blame them for when something bad happens to them. Lots of, well, what did you do to deserve this? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very good point because of the way the threefold law is structured and, and framing it as a mm-hmm. universal constant. Anything bad that happens to you is supposedly your fault, your fault and, in some way. And the very fact that it's called a law, which makes it sound as if it's universal. And I've had someone make that argument with me before and I'm like, uh-huh. hey, I'm not the one who named it. Right. I don't call it a law because I don't follow that. I don't believe in that. I think part of the reason it's so popular and the reason you see it being bandied about really casually and some of its most strident proponents are not necessarily young Wiccans, but new Wiccans. New, I'd say beginner. I think the reason it has the popularity it does Mm -hmm. is because it's very simple. Yes. It's digestible. It's easy to Mm -hmm. express. And, mm-hmm. and pass along, and it doesn't require a lot of deeper examination of what that means and what its implications are mm-hmm. to apply it at a very surface level to your work and to everyone else's work. I also have heard that one, it potentially could be that, you know, Gardner and many of, and Buckland and the others were trying to make it so that witches don't appear evil. They don't do bad work. Right. So if you have this threefold law. Exactly. And that was a, that was a huge concern for Gardner at the time was Mm -hmm. making magic less scary. Yes, exactly. And so I think that is, there's still that component in there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're just guessing as to motivations. Mm -hmm. Nothing is written down 
known for sure why the threefold law became a thing, but that seems to have been kind of what's been... How um, it seems to have grown. It's how it's been grown, how it's been adopted, how it's been absorbed by magical practitioners over the last 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. And you still, I think you still find people perhaps maybe already a little afraid of magic. They're new at it. And so it's a little scary. And And so this kind of keeps them in check. I think there are some people who are so intimidated by the potential of what they could accomplish with magic Mm -hmm. that they they feel like they need someone to give them rules. Mm Mm-hmm. Someone to, to to put a little bit of a reel them in, make sure right. they don't go overboard or and do I think, something wrong. I think this is similar to the people who, you see this mostly with Christians, mm-hmm. who will say that like, well, atheists can't be moral because they don't have a religion to give them morals. Which is bullshit, by the way. Exactly. And I think that you're seeing something related happening here with the proliferation of the threefold law mm-hmm. in Wicca and the attempt by Wiccans to apply the threefold law to non-Wiccans. Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing something similar there of them saying, if you don't follow this rule, you can't be moral. Yes. I think there there does seem to be kind of subconscious level of that, maybe a conscious level for some people, right. but I think it's subconscious for a lot of people. And you find in these discussions that you see online, or even like I've heard this discussion happen when we were at Arts and Craft and there mm-hmm. was a, a big discussion going on. But the problem, and I do mean that word specifically, mm-hmm. the problem comes when you have someone who is so entrenched in the idea of the threefold law that they insist all witches must apply it. And and apply it in exactly the same way, yep. in a very in this very rigid, rigid way. Yep. And it's very similar to um, well, evangelical Christianity or other mainstream religions that have a very didactic view of how morality works. We've touched on this before. The subject of every kind of magic that you do will have an unintended consequence of some kind. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to apply something like a threefold law as it's written, you would have to do nothing. To never perform an action that will have negative consequences for you, you would have to not do magic or indeed anything. And you do get some Wiccans who don't practice any kind of magic, Mm -hmm. sometimes for that reason. Magic is just not for them or it makes them uneasy. But we've had this discussion before when we talked about baneful magic. Mm -hmm. It's like there literally is no witchcraft that you can perform that doesn't have an effect on someone else that could potentially be negative. Exactly. A consequence that just because you don't see it doesn't mean the consequence doesn't happen. That's right. If you do magic to get a job for yourself, that's our classic. someone else doesn't get that job. That's right. Maybe they needed that job. Did they need it more than you? You can't possibly know. You just have to factor in the fact that every time you do an action, you are having an effect on someone else in the interconnected web of reality. In addition to this, you also get idea that perhaps it's an over either an over amplification or over oversimplification of the read mm-hmm. where in that that final line and it harm none you know do what ye will mm-hmm. and, and it harm, it harm none. none yeah a lot of people apply that to the threefold law and so they'll add a caveat to their spell and say as you know I'm gonna do this thus this for is the, my intention for the maximum good yeah if it ha- if it does no harm right etc cetera, etc cetera. and that again I think is leashing your spell I think it's not even 
been doing that. Mm -hmm. Because saying, and at harm none, like tacking that onto the end of your spell. It's a little bit of a cop-out. Exactly, it's a (laughs) cop-out. It sets no parameters for what harm looks like. You're just just doing it to make yourself feel better. Right. And it also, like, I think it makes, if your spell doesn't work, you're like, well, it would have harmed somebody. It would have harmed someone, exactly. And then you you don't further examine why this magic didn't work. Exactly. You just say, well, it would have done harm. Well, all your magic is doing someone Mm -hmm. or something, some kind of harm. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of whether the harm you're doing outweighs the benefit you're getting. Melkor just said, no part of life comes without someone somewhere suffering. Mm -hmm. Food, clothing, electronics, you can do your best, and yet someone somewhere is still doing a shitty job to make it. Magic is the same way. I think it was Laura Tempest-Zakroff who just recently did a blog post about everything in magic has a cost. Mm-hmm. It's not a cost ne- and a consequence. A cost and a consequence. It's not necessarily a monetary cost. It could be an energy cost. It could be whatever it it's is. It's frequently an energy cost. Yes, but there is always a cost mm-hmm. to practicing and using magic. That's part and parcel of the whole gig. And that that's part of the reason I use magic pretty sparingly. Mm-hmm. I don't do magic every day. Some people do, and I greatly respect their commitment to doing that. But for me, magic is something I do in extremis for the most part. Mm-hmm. When I I've exhausted all other avenues or when I believe magic is the best way to or the only way to accomplish something. But because it's costly Mm -hmm. and because it amplifies my ability to interact with the world Mm -hmm. beyond my ability to see the consequences, Mm -hmm. feel like I have an ethical obligation to undertake magic sparingly Mm -hmm. and only after consideration. Knowing what your intention is. Exactly. Putting thought and time and knowing the consequence mm-hmm. and, and the cost and being willing to pay, to pay that cost. That cost yeah. and take responsibility for it. That's one thing we talked and about. And take before. responsibility for the consequences to other people. Which doesn't mean you don't ever do baneful magic. That's I do right. baneful magic. Exactly. It just means that I have to acknowledge what it what that means. Yes. Right? And exactly. deal with that. Exactly. And then while doing the baneful magic, deal with that. And then after doing the baneful magic, deal with that. Because it's not a one and done thing. I'm not saying don't believe in the threefold law for people who, if that's part of their belief structure. If it's it's part of your religion, go for it. The same way any moral system in a religion, if it improves your life, embrace that. But But don't try to make me follow that law. Right. I would say it's a moral system, not a universal law. Exactly. And I think that's important, a very important distinction, that it is not, in fact, a universal law. Mm -hmm. Not all practitioners apply. Will experience that kind of exchange. Yes, exactly. Those are my thoughts about the threefold laws. I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten into a discussion. Gwen has gotten told that she's not abiding by the threefold law sufficiently. And she's always just like, correct. (laughs) I think it's it's an easy way for people who aren't comfortable mm-hmm. with examining the consequences of magic. And baneful magic makes those consequences more obvious because it has intentionally negative effects. Mm-hmm. What you're really seeing with someone who has a really hardline threefold law mentality mm-hmm. is a discomfort with the idea of consequences for magic. I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Scuba's just said a lot of easily accessible beginner info out there is very Wicca focused. 
even if it's branded just as pagan or witchcraft. And it can be really confusing when you're starting out. So I do think that's where a lot of these beginner witches, yeah. whether they're Wiccan or in some other some, some other, other form, tradition, some other yeah. tradition, I think that's where a lot of this confusion and gatekeeping well, is coming has, from. <laughs> Wicca and some Wiccan precepts have infiltrated a lot of other communities. Yeah. yeah. Druidism. Heathenry. Heathenry. Yeah. 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 And it's so kind of all over. It's very hard to, to find, especially when you're starting out and you don't really know what you're looking at, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to find resources that don't have any Wiccan influence. Right. That's right. And it just takes time and experience. Too. Right. It's just practice. It's just practice. You're gonna you're just gonna make those mistakes, period. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a natural consequence of the of the process. And you just have to accept that you're gonna make those mistakes. Exactly. And I also wanna say it is okay to change your mind about something. When I began twenty years ago, mm-hmm. began my path into witchcraft, I started with Wicca and I was a full on proponent of the threefold law. Mm-hmm. It's just over time. It's become less applicable it's beca- to you. It, it became less applicable to the point where it's not a part of my system. It's not a part of my witchcraft mm-hmm. anymore. That's okay. <laughs> right. It's okay to let something right. go that you believed in your younger years as a witch. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay to go beyond what you first learned. Mm-hmm to adapt to new information, to let go of something that you find out is actually no longer relevant or was either misogynistic or racist or, you know, yeah, or, or, whatever. or whatever in the beginning. Or even just doesn't <laughs> gel for you. It doesn't like, apply to you. Like when I, when I very first started looking into heathenry, I came across a resource that said, which I now recognize as having been influenced by the ADF. But mm-hmm. at the time I wasn't familiar with ADF core ritual, so I didn't know anything I was looking at. So I came across a resource that said when you're doing a ritual and you're doing the part dealing with the outdwellers, from a heathen context, what you should be doing is rebuking the outdwellers very aggressively mm-hmm. and uh, and threatening them. Because, you know, heathenry is a very macho religion. Uh, and so when I first started, I was like, okay, well, I guess, sure. I, I don't know what I'm doing, so I guess I'll just roll with that. But that doesn't work for me because I work with a lot of the entities mm-hmm. That would be considered that outdwellers. That are considered mm-hmm. outdwellers by that branch of heathenry. So, like, I very quickly realized this wasn't working for me. Yeah. It couldn't be part of my practice. It had to be removed. Clearly works for some people. Does not work for me. I personally like it when we bring in that, I think it's a druid aspect mm-hmm. of making an offering. To, offering to the outdwellers. To the outdwellers. Yep. Yeah, yeah. As a druid, it's an ADF thing, but mm-hmm. I offer a basically half of the offering at the beginning of something and the other half at the end. Mm-hmm. And You bribe them. <laughs> We do good beer and chocolate. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And it tends to work. Yep. So and I I'm don't, not at all upset about it. Exactly. And I don't do that at all for my private rituals. Right. But that doesn't bother me in a public or, or a family ritual. Exactly. Right. Visit Birmingham Violin Studio where our tiger Kirsten Gill has been teaching violin for anyone ages 7 and up for over 20 years. Kirsten tailors each lesson specifically for the students since all of the people are unique individuals with their own learning styles rather than teaching from a single method or method book kirsten has a master of music in violin performance and has played with professional ensembles such as orchestra iowa florida grand opera palm beach symphony and the arkansas symphony orchestra as well as casey and the sunshine band the beach boys and pre-american idol kelly clarkson due to social distancing the birmingham violin studio has pivoted to providing online instruction and kirsten has offering listeners of three pagans and a cat their first two lessons free when they sign up for two months of lessons hail dictinus well done <laughs> considering 
Gwen's Garden Gems. That was nice. That was. It was Thanks. a little it was a little subdued. So for today, I'm going to be talking about morning glory. The Latin names are Ipomoea purpurea or convolvulus purpureus. <laughs> right. Wow. Those are. Anyway, we're talking about morning glory. It is considered an annual in most areas, but in some areas it may be considered a perennial. And because I always forget. That means you have to plant it every year. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a perennial, it means it keeps coming back returns. on its own. It okay. returns on its All own. Right. It is in some areas considered a noxious weed because it is a vine that likes to grow. Kitty Catastrophe <laughs> says it's considered invasive where they live. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely you have to to be careful about where you are introducing it because if you put it in a garden it will just like mint, mint. or some of these others it will spread you gotta take be over so definitely check your area to make sure morning glory is legal mm-hmm. to grow but you can also and then grow... maybe uh put it in a in a bed well this or is a pot. actually really wonderful on a trellis in a hanging pot or in a, a planter mm. uh, because it, it just kind of cascades again it is fast growing all morning glory plants have funnel-shaped blossoms in shades of white, red, blue, purple, or yellow. They bloom between May and September. They love full sun, but they will tolerate a little bit of shade. So this is not something that you could bring into your house unless you have a really excellent window. And you don't want to put it under a porch or anything. And you don't want, yeah. So if you, you get a hanging it, one, you want it to, it to it be... It would need a good six to eight hours of full sunshine. Okay. does have good tolerance for poor dry soils. In fact, you'll see it growing along fence rows, gardens, garden edges, roadsides. It prefers well-draining soils, so it doesn't like wet feet or, you know, it doesn't like soggy dirt. It has to be just right. But <laughs> Goldilocks. Well, I guess it would prefer it. I should say it prefers just right. It can start from a seed in the garden after late frost, if it's if you're in an area that will allow morning glory, and you control it. <laughs> Make sure you're controlling it. Don't just let it go. Don't just let it go. Or you can grow it indoors from a seed about four to six weeks before the last frost. Otherwise, it's pretty easy, low maintenance. You water it once or twice a week. It has a nice blooming time. The magic that you can do with Morning Glory, you can remove or banish addictions or things that are no longer useful in your life. Mm, break attachments. Mm-hmm. You can break attachments. You can bind spells by wrapping a poppet in Morning Glory vine. You can find lost objects by using Morning Glory energy. You can also open liminal spaces. It's very good for any kind of like hedge witchery astral travel, things of that nature. So you could use it, have some of the blossoms as part of a spell bag or things of that nature. You have to be a little careful. I feel like the flowers would be pretty if dried. Yeah, I think, and that's another thing. You could dry them. Just be wise when it comes to using morning glory and just make sure that you're in an area where it's allowed. And if it's not, Mm -hmm. don't Don't grow it. I especially am very intrigued about using it as for binding, Mm -hmm. using the vine, but also for releasing attachments. Yeah. I, th- I think that's very cool. Multi-purpose. Multi-purpose flower and vine going on here. Deals with attachments in both directions. That's right. That's Bye. it for Queen's Garden Gems. Oh, there we go. Thank you. That You're was welcome. very lovely. Thank you for the effort. <laughs> <laughs> so next I thought we would talk about karma. <laughs> karma. This is another one where we've said repeatedly, like, most people don't understand karma. Neither do we. No. It's a complicated. It's a huge subject. Huge subject. People 
origi- it originates in um, Indian uh, religious philosophy, but it's also now in Buddhist. Right. It's it's part of it's part of Buddhist philosophy. Philosophy and other various Jainism. Jainism. There's other philosophies that have Taoism. I think is. Yeah. There's so many different variants. <laughs> I mean, even just inside of Hinduism yeah. or, or or Buddhism, mm-hmm. there are multiple interpretations of karma. And as Western civilization, as Western mm-hmm. people, we have really simplified it, yeah. oversimplified it to mean something that it really doesn't mean. We have brought it into this your this, actions and your rewards system. Yeah. Kind of thing. So so the Western concept of karma is usually that good actions bring rewards mm-hmm. and bad actions bring punishments, mm-hmm. which is explicitly not explicitly the opposite mm-hmm. of how karma is viewed in most of its mm-hmm. interpretations. Karma is explicitly not a system of rewards and punishments. Mm-hmm. It's a system of natural consequences for action. I've got a real, real, real basic description okay. here. So you've got three different types of karma and then a basic overall. You have Sanchita, and I forgive me, Hindu people, if I'm saying this wrong, any of these wrong. Sanchita, which is accumulated past actions waiting to come to fruition. Parabdha, what you are doing now in this lifetime and its result. And Agami, future actions that result from your present actions, the overall idea is that your intention affects your action, but all of these three play a part in your karma and in your, whether you stay on the wheel of reincarnation or you go off the wheel and into nirvana or whatever. Except that not every system that accepts karma accepts reincarnation. Exactly. (laughs) See, this is what we're saying. It's very complicated. And this Uh is about, this is as basic as you can get and it still is not the the western concept of you reap what you sow. It's very different Mm -hmm. because this applies to people's past lives, to their present lives, and to their future lives in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's not a system of rewards for good actions, punishments for bad actions. Exactly. It's the things you do have natural results. Mm -hmm. Which then affects your karma. Exactly. It's like these are all a chain of functions, Mm -hmm. let's say. Not actions because an action is actually one of the functions in the chain. Mm -hmm. So like the first function is pre-life karma, Mm -hmm. residual karma Mm -hmm. that you've built up in past lives. And then the next link function is your intention to do something. And Mm -hmm. then the next linked function is the action, which is inspired by your intention, but may not perfectly reflect your intention. Mm -hmm. And then the next linked function is the immediate consequence in this life of that action, which was inspired by the intention And the intention was built from your past karma. Consequence in this immediate life, that function is linked to future intentions, linked to future actions, and linked to next life karma. Mm -hmm. It's a very complicated system. And that's only a tiny part. Even sober car wouldn't understand any of this shit. There are people. I certainly don't. (laughs) There are people who spend their entire Mm -hmm. lives trying to understand and teach and expound on and philosophize about karma. A specific interpretation of karma. Yeah, because there are various interpretations of karma. As we said, there's various systems. It's not as cut and dry as Westerners like to believe. As I was doing research. Pre-drinking research. This was pre-drinking research, yes. (laughs) I found the 12 laws of karma. Did you know there were 12 laws of karma? I had no idea. I'm sure there are in one system. I was just (laughs) looking for a basic definition, to be honest with you. So the 12 laws of one part of karma are are the great law, basically sowing and reaping. Okay. Okay. The law 
law of creation, okay. the law of humility, the law of growth, the law of responsibility, the law of connection, the law of force. Kind of force. So in this case, it would be you cannot put energy towards two things simultaneously. You have to focus on one at a time. Okay. Okay. The law of giving and hospitality. The law of the here and the now. So being present. Being, mm-hmm. being present and what's going okay. on. And the law of change. The law of patience and reward. And the law of significance and inspiration. That is that we all have a value to give. And our unique gifts are meant to be shared with the world. Mm. To make a positive impact. Which, quite honestly, I think those 12 laws would work for just about anything. I think the, the reason there are so many different moral systems in the world. Yeah. Is not because most people have fundamentally different ideas of what is moral. It's they have different specific ideas of how to to apply apply that morality. Sure. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Which is why I think you see these sort of like, yes, these are broadly applicable concepts. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. There's deeper meaning into each one of those that we may not even are, we may not even parse or understand right now just on its surface. Just because we don't have the religious framework. Because we don't have the religious framework behind it or the philosophy. Like I know there are some concepts in heathenry that are difficult to translate translate mm-hmm. outside of heathenry. Right, yeah. You know, like Frith. Frith is a difficult concept to articulate. I honestly believe Gebo is. Yeah, exactly. For a lot yeah. of people, yeah. Uh, a, very... a lot of people have a really yeah. hard time with Gebo. Yep. I sometimes have a hard time with Gebo. I was talking to Sarah the other day about how, like, I don't like to charge people a lot for divination because right. I want to make it accessible to as many people as possible. Right. And Sarah came back to me and was like, Gebo, you have to charge what the thing is worth. But Swan said, it. it doesn't sit well with me that past lives can have an effect overcurrent me. Yeah, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people, so don't apply that concept to your religious life. Right, yep. And if it doesn't, like, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. This, this I think, is although something might be a rule or a law inside its own religious framework, right, that right. doesn't mean... That it fits for everything. That it fits for yeah. everyone, or that you have to apply... It's not, a, again, not universal concepts. Exactly. Just because things are called laws in a certain framework or in a certain system mm-hmm. does not mean that it is universal. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think we get kind of caught up in this idea that something, if it has to be a law. If it's true, it has to be true for everyone. everyone. And we have discovered, at least on a spiritual level, that is not necessarily true. I mean, there are some things that are factually true, scientifically right. factually true. But when it comes to spiritual And even things, some of those things are theories. Exactly. Even some of those things are theories. But when it comes to spiritual or moral understanding of things, mm-hmm. it's wider, it's bigger, it's broader, and there can be more than one thing. Yeah. And, and I've talked before about how I came to heathenry and and the process for determining a religion that was relayed to me by a comedic friend. Three-part process, The three-part process, yeah. Yeah. Does it make your life better? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does it improve you? Do you find it beautiful? Mm -hmm. None of those are, is it true? Right. Right, yeah. Is it factually real? It's how you feel. Yeah, about no, each thing, exactly. Yeah. It, it has your religion does not need to be true. Yeah, yeah, factually true. It just has to be true for, for you, you. in that time. For you. Exactly, even. Yeah, and then it you doesn't can, even have if to it's, fit forever. If you know, ten years from now, heathenry isn't improving me. It's not making my life better, and I don't find it beautiful anymore. I will move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Or six months from now. Exactly. Right, but yeah. I'd also like to point out that's part of the reason I often see this again in social media, in the group, or in Discord mm-hmm. of people, you know, talking about the fact that we do ritual together, even though we're all on three different paths. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can come together and have these discussions from three different perspectives. And part of the reason for that is because we've all come to a place where we understand Mm -hmm. that what is true for me is not necessarily true for you or for you and that's okay. Because we come from
from fairly distinct mm-hmm. religious philosophies. Mm-hmm. We have some fairly distinct views about like how the world was created, yeah. right? Like yeah. the cos- different cosmologies, mm-hmm. and and those things affect how our rituals are structured. Like Car has the land, sea, and sky triad, which yep. doesn't exist in heathenry in that mm-hmm. way. Doesn't exist in witchcraft in that. Uh, exactly. It doesn't in Hecatean uh, witchcraft. Right, exactly. Yeah. But uh, and like Gwyn works with the four elements, and mm-hmm. I don't work with the four mm-hmm. elements in that way as a heathen. I don't need for those things to be true for me mm-hmm. for them to work in a ritual. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why we're able to come together and do these things. And we can have these discussions mm-hmm. because none of us is saying, no, my point is the right way. My, right. You have to believe this. Because that is not necessarily true. Right. No. Yeah. I don't know that I would ever say that. No. Like, even no. outside of... But we come from a religious system where... Where that was is, the norm. Where that was the norm. And a lot of people coming into, as yeah. we said before, right. a lot yeah. of people are coming into paganism, whatever branch it might be, mm-hmm. or tradition, they're coming often from a perspective of a thing has to be From true. a prescriptivist religion. From a prescriptivist religion that it must be true because this, you know, they have a holy writ or mm-hmm. something that makes it true. That's it. And for them, it's universally true. Yeah. Right. I do want to bring out what theoretical bartender just said. By the way, I love your... Theoretical your... bartender? How the fuck did <laughs> I miss that? that? Great? I love That's that That's great. That's okay. a great yeah. name. They said, I really needed to hear that. I just told my Christian parents that I'm pagan today. And my dad's first question was whether or not I had morals. You I know, think there are morals built into every... any belief system or non-belief system. Or non-belief, yeah. Right. This is something... You You'll, you'll discover if you start looking into moral philosophy and subjects like that. Virtually every religion has a moral system. Yeah. If it doesn't start with one, it will create one. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. secularists create moral yeah. systems yes. in the absence of religion because that's just part of like society. We have laws, you know, and that's... <laughs> Not even laws. Like laws are force that's exerted true. by governments. That's true. That's a good point. Morals are how you conduct yourself mm-hmm. with other people. And if you you apply what you just said about laws and governmental bodies, mm-hmm. that's essentially when somebody is saying this is the law of the threefold right. law or something, it's doing that same kind of thing, trying and, to and impose a moral and, perspective and, and, on something. I think even beyond that, like the threefold law, the golden rule, whatever the hell you want to call it, isn't moralistic necessarily. It is in a specific instance, but it's not your morals. Mm-hmm. And so I believe you can have morals and not obscure to those things. Right. You just mm-hmm. have to build your morals right. piece by piece instead of having right. them given to you as a system. Correct. Right. Yeah. And for those people, what you know, regardless of what their religion is or their belief system, if karma, their system, it's how their morals are constructed, constructed, constructed then that's, that. that's cool. That's true for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that is what's important here. Now, but it's not true for everyone. Going back to karma for a minute, mm-hmm. Rhiannon Grace said something, yeah, a while back. Westerners basically saw a finished puzzle, assumed it was only like five pieces and said, okay, got it. This is mine now. Yeah. But if they actually bothered to look at those five pieces, they'd see that each of them are a thousand piece puzzle in themselves. Yes. And also people have thousands of other pieces that also fit into that one puzzle. Yeah, we tend right, to forget yeah. that Hinduism, ancient. Oh, an extremely, extremely ancient <coughs> religion. One of the most ancient, uninterrupted religions religious traditions. In human history. And they've got various things within Hinduism and mm-hmm. they've got different sects <clears throat> and different beliefs and they've, they've been working on this for thousands of years, literally. Thousands of years. So for anyone to think that they could distill karma 
the understanding of karma into like a sentence into into something simple is just it's not realistic it's just like the chakras it is the chakra system is so much bigger and more complicated and the like deep rainbow than the rainbow thing that western (laughs) the western understanding of it so we do a disservice to hindus and to hinduism and their philosophies and their religion and their belief structure by trying to do what was just said by saying oh i get that that's now mine Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and simplify it down to its its most basic, its most, <laughs> its most basic edible parts. Yeah. You so know? to take off Rhiannon's thing, mm-hmm. I really believe that karma, the golden rule, whatever we call it, is a five thousand piece puzzle of which the rule gives us two thousand pieces, and then we have three thousand other pieces we have to fill in ourselves, just like blank to pieces. fit us that are mm-hmm. just our part of. What fits mm-hmm. in that? So you believe not <coughs> karma, but like moral systems. Moral, in moral systems in general, yeah, okay. yeah. So karma has a two thousand pieces of a five thousand piece puzzle, and you have to add your part into it to and, make karma a whole. But so any and and I think I think every individual sect that has a whole yeah. different perspective on karma right. has yes. been doing that's that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's why there are so many. That's why there's so many, and why it's such a because more... someone fills out a bunch of those pieces and says, yeah. "Look what I've done." Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which just means it's more complex than we give it credit for. Hold, please. <laughs> Join our Tiger Crystal at Apothecary Teas. This shop produces fragrant, aesthetically beautiful teas that delight all the senses. With handcrafted tea blends from white to green to red, this week, Ode is recommending Valkyrie, a Rubeus blend with flavors of almond, vanilla, and marigold. Find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on Facebook at Apothecary Teas, LLC. And you know us, we love Apothecary Teas. We love those teas. We have so many of them in our cupboard. Quite a few, yes. They're very yeah. delicious. It's time for O's Stone Corner! Today we're going to be discussing amylite, which is one of the few organic gemstones. So it's like amber and pearl. It's not a traditional gemstone. So amylite is fossilized ammonite. Ammonites were a uh, cephalopod species way back in time. Doesn't exist anymore. They sort of looked like nautiloids, but they're actually not that closely related to nautiloids. Sounds like it should be an alien species. (laughs) Or something from uh, Pokemon. They probably do have (laughs) nautilus. Pokemon. I would, I would guess so. They have most every other animal now. The amylite is a fossilized ammonite shell. They're found in a relatively small region because although ammonites were very widespread, the conditions for fossilization were only ideal in a particular inland sea that stretched over what is now Canada and down into Utah. So it's a, a relatively small area of occurrence. And about 50% of all amylite mining is actually done in the Kaina Reserve territory in Canada by a company called Corite. Corite was established in 1979 and they had an agreement with the Kaina tribe peoples to give them royalties for all the land that they were mining to get amylite. I believe that that agreement has now expired and Corite is now as of December 2020 under new management. So they used to have relatively environmentally protected mining practices that benefited the local tribe. Not sure if that's going to continue being the case. So if you're looking for amylite specimens, you need to be careful about where you're getting them, when and where they were mined. Look into that. Be safe. Yeah, so that you're not um, contributing to potentially the eradication of uh, native tribes already too small reserve. But that's, that's where most amylite 
amylite comes from is from chorite. It, they actually set it into jewelry pieces, very, very small samples into, into pieces of jewelry. But you can find amylite specimens that are whole shells. That's much rarer because amylite actually forms in very thin sheets. It is composed mostly of argonite, but it has a variable composition depending on the fossilization process. So it might contain calcite, silica, pyrite, trace metals, etc., etc. It's usually, like I said, it comes in a very thin sheet. It's usually left on its matrix to give it some stability. So it's usually found on limestone or something like that. It's extremely delicate. So you'll often see amylite specimens that have uh, something called frost shattering, which is where it's been exposed to the elements and has uh, developed sort of like a stained glass um, tessellated crackular. That sounds pretty. Very attractive, but sensitive to uh, changes in its environment. Okay, so it could easily break. It could easily break. It's also sensitive to sun bleaching. So amylite, when it's mined and after it's been polished, has an iridescent quality, mostly in reds and greens, although it can cover the entire color spectrum. What you'll mostly see from chorite is going to be in the red to green iridescence area. So if it's super delicate, you might want to keep it in a, like its own little box until you need to use yes. it. In a dark place. In a, in a, hold a, it carefully. Exactly, in an enclosed box so that it's not exposed to the sun so that it doesn't bleach out all of its colors. Gotcha. Because that's the, the primary visual advantage of amylite is that it has that uh, that dramatic okay. iridescence. So it's actually really difficult to make a fake amylite. And most of the things that could pass for amylite are more expensive than amylite. So you'll actually see amylite being used as a fake for black opal sometimes because black opal is very, very rare and getting mm. rarer. There's more amylite available. It resembles that. But most of the time, if you see amylite on the shelves, it's going to be actual amylite. Occasionally, if it's in more of a blue to green range, it might actually be abalone shell, which mm. is not a fossil and is much, much easier to get a hold of. Although, like I said, occasionally you can find a whole shell of amylite and those will be similarly shaped to a nautilus. So they'll have that sort of spiral shape, which is actually part of their function magically. So as a fossil, it has a sort of ancestor quality to it, but it's also really, really good for journeying and sort of traveling inwards. So Mm. if you happen to have especially a piece of amylite that can see the spiral formation. Like if you were going into a labyrinth. Exactly. You can sort of follow with your eyes Mm. the spiral formation of the amylite down deeper into your psyche or or further into the other world. Can you also then follow it out just in case? Yes. Yeah. So amylite's a good good guide and tether if you're doing journeying work. That's yeah. cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So like that's it? it for Odes Stone Corner. So there were a few other concepts we wanted to cover tonight. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just mention that in ancient Egypt and in modern Kemeticism, there's a concept called Mat. Mm. Mat is the cosmic harmony, the natural order of reality, which is brought about and reinforced by correct action. So this that's a sort of moral system where there is a universal rightness. Things naturally tend towards Mat, but are interrupted by Isfet, which is chaos mm. or, or evil or bad action. And it's your responsibility as a human to reinforce Smart by performing correct action. Okay, so Kemetic, is that based on Egyptian? Yes. Okay, so that's based on an Egyptian framework of morality. Exactly. Okay. Part of the reason that came about was because ancient Egypt was a really complex and divided society. Right. So a concept like Mat helped uh, establishing what a correct what correct action was helped mm-hmm. sort of unify the ancient Egyptian empires. Empires and their religious 
Yes, the, the various Overall. religious philosophies. Yeah. And then I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the golden rule, which Carr has mentioned a couple of times. Mm-hmm, because that is the, that's the main... That's the Christian, Christian thing, yeah. Right. And, and I think it's been sort of adopted, at least in the West, as the secular mm-hmm. moral. Right. It yeah. is kind of the secular, basically, how you want to be treated is how you treat others. Mm-hmm. Is, is a very... Yeah. And yeah. so so the, the basic precepts of the golden rule, which comes in two forms, well, it comes in three forms. Yeah. But the two main forms are the positive and the negative right. forms. The positive form is do unto others as you would have done unto you. Mm-hmm. The negative form is do not do unto others as you would not have them do, do to you. you. Which is also known as the silver rule. Right. That's mm-hmm. a, a modern... Which is actually what I follow. Right. That's a, that's the modern name for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. The golden rule as the name for the positive version is actually only as old as the 17th century. They base it on the scripture, on something to Jesus said in the, one of the New Testaments. Kind of. <laughs> so, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But it's inspired yeah. by something Jesus says in and the New the Testament. reason I said which, <laughs> which what Jesus said was inspired by something from Leviticus. Yes, because it's one of their laws. Uh-huh. From the Torah. You can find a similar precept in Seneca the Younger's essays. You can find a similar precept in the Mabarada. It's mm-hmm. very widely it's a, it's a very found <clears throat> principle. Yeah. A general principle. But yes, it's, it was widely adopted uh, in the 17th century moving forward as the golden rule, especially in Christian-influenced societies. Brandon Gray says, Golden rule has never even occurred to me as being something Christian-based, even though pretty much everything in the U.S. is. I always just think of it as the law of kindergarten. <laughs> Which is true. true. And I it think is, that's... It's, and I it's distilled. been distilled down into its most understandable and basic form. And yes, it is taught. I used to be a preschool teacher. Mm-hmm. It is something that is taught to, to children. S- to children. Right. And I think that's why it's sort of the most popular yeah. baseline moral principle mm-hmm. is because it's so easy you can teach it to children just mm-hmm. as a general philosophy. You don't want somebody to be mean to you, then right. don't be mean to them. That's... Obviously, it, it has um, it has its critics because, and and there have been revisions. So uh, mm-hmm. I discovered along the way that the quote platinum rule is uh, <laughs> an attempt to improve on the golden rule to answer some of those criticisms, which is do unto others where possible as they would like to have done to them mm-hmm. instead of do unto others. Because do unto others as you would have them do unto you Mm-hmm. is sort of a... It's a narcissistic view yeah, of morality. Yeah, yeah. Whatever right? you want. Right. Because it's you. Fo- it's focused on what you what want. What you want. Right. Yeah. On your needs. And therefore, you are treating other people the way you want to be treated. Exactly. And that may not apply. In the, in the idea that you will, by treating them that way, you will then basically... You will receive the you'll, treatment you'll, you right. desire. You'll prompt them... Yeah, to treat you... To treat you the same way, through example. Right. It's kind of the idea. Which... and. Swan says, treat others the way they want to be treated. That's the the attempt to improve on this, which mm-hmm. I think is a more empathic model. Yeah. Rather than focusing on how you want to be treated, you focus on how someone else, else wants, wants to be treated. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's more complicated than it's, we realize. Yeah, I think... Because we've tried to distill something. Something very complex. That actually, I feel like Jesus was trying to distill uh-huh, himself. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. It's the law of the prophets. Prophets mm-hmm. and, yes, right, the yeah. law, this is the law and the prophets, which he reams of of words. Come on, right, yeah. and the version, the version in the Mahabharata that says where where it's um, a king is being asked to explain dharma, and and he says well, he says in the English translation, "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you." This is the essence of dharma. Yeah, you 
see this sort of, you see this principle repeated over and over again in multiple applications, mm -hmm. clearly intended not as a whole philosophy, mm -hmm. but as a distillation for everyday life. That's right. It's something that an individual can focus on. Mm -hmm. Basically saying, you're not a philosopher. I don't expect you to be a philosopher. I don't expect you to, to be a holy man, to be a holy man, to care about or to try to personally figure out every facet of what makes a moral system. So I'm going to simplify it for you and give you this really basic rule that should lead you right most of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what it is. And that's that's what this is. It's not in the golden rule, the platinum rule, the silver rule. None of them are intended to be whole philosophies right. or whole right. systems. I agree with that. They're intended to be, and I think it's the problem- It's a bullet point. It's exactly, it's a bullet point. And I think the problem comes when people take that as, this will be my whole moral exactly, system. Exactly, exactly. And This and is all I need to understand how to interact with the world. <laughs> because I, then you do get, it can become very narcissistic. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've gone by the silver rule for years, mm -hmm. which is don't do unto others as you wouldn't want others to do unto you. But it's also saying like, do whatever you want, but if you don't want it done to you, then don't do it to somebody else. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Exactly. Right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> The title it's somewhat, of this episode, yeah. Right. So it's somewhat that. But like, so if I applied it to, so you can understand photography, if you didn't have an issue of people taking pictures of you in public mm -hmm. and not advising you of that, right. then you should not have a problem taking pictures of others in public and right. not advising them of that. It's that concept. I, I think that it's still ultimately a narcissistic point of view because mm -hmm. it's still, these are the things I don't care about, so you shouldn't care about them either. I see it as if you don't care about it, I don't care about it either. So if you don't care about it, like it won't affect me if you do it. But I think that's your personal interpretation of it. Right. That might right. not necessarily be how someone else applies right. it. Because I think the general... I'm pretty much in the I don't give a fuck category right. of things. True. But... It drives me crazy when it comes to restaurants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where do you want to go to eat? I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. The general application of the silver rule is going to be, because it's don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to you. To you, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But so, I don't care if anything's done to me, so. But that leaves you open to, to do everything. anything to anyone. It also leaves anybody and, open to do anything to me. Yes, but that's again, that's that personally focused view of like, well, I don't care if you do anything to me, so I can do anything to you. I guess. It but can, I tend, I guess I have I don't the moral speed. Exactly, that, that's what I'm saying. Because it's, I'm like, if I'm taking pictures of people in particular, I'm going to give them a piece of paperwork to fill out. Not because I'm morally obligated to it necessarily, but because I don't want to be sued. That's the gray area here. That's the honest <laughs> thing. Like, so if I take pictures at my brewery uh -huh. and there are people in the background, uh -huh. I'm handing them, unless I'm blurring them the fuck out so you can't tell who they are, period. Right. I am handing them all a piece of paperwork and saying, sign this that says you agree to be in this picture that I might post on Facebook at one point. I get that. Take the laws out of it. Okay. Assume that it was impossible to sue you. Okay. And there would be no legal consequences. I still would probably feel bad about posting exactly. a picture of somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, of but someone that's who a personal didn't, who didn't consent to have that. Right. But that's posted. a personal opinion of mine that does not affect the fact that if somebody wants to take a picture of me and post it anywhere, I'm okay with that. Exactly. But the law is and if you were just following the law without any like personal other additional right. morals, mm -hmm. the law would just be, you don't care if people take photos of you and post them places. So they shouldn't care if you take gotcha. photos of them and post them yeah. places. Yeah. So in that case, I follow the lead law. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is do what people want. Do, do, I'll do what I want, and, and I will follow you whatever do, you want. And you do what you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do get into gray areas here. And this again, I think, is why you can't take these as a whole moral system. No, right, you can't yeah. because it's a tiny bullet point of something that is much bigger. It's a rule that should lead you right most of most the time. Most of the time, but not always. And that's why you have to apply, you know, critical and thinking. It is, op- and... it is open to personal interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so that, again, critical thinking, uh, I don't examining... I critical thinking. I just follow other people. Examining your own morals or spiritual beliefs mm-hmm. or... And, you know, whatever the laws are of the land. Right. You know, uh, Which you have to follow things. because of the force of the government. Exactly. I mean, so there's a lot of things that come into it. It's a much broader topic and it's much more complicated than we tend to realize. And as we said at the beginning, we're not going to solve morals yeah. here. No. What? Are you kidding? And same we're as, not going to do and it? the same as when we didn't solve huh. souls. Our beliefs are not necessarily going to be reflective of what our people out in the pride believe. Uh-uh. And that's okay. That's the whole point of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. You have have the right to discern what all of these, which system works right for you or doesn't, and be willing to adjust and adapt and change as you grow and adjust and adapt and change throughout your life based on your experiences. Gooba says, oh no, we all have to be responsible for our own choices and their consequences. Yep, that is definitely the case. Pretty much. And saying that, I'm going to say it's time for Cars Fees Table. Cars Fees Table. I really wish more people could see that on... (laughs) Ode leaning into the mic going, gosh, she's stable. Then you'd understand why I laugh every fucking time. It is so I am actually giving you a recipe today from the Golden Rule Cookbook, uh-huh. which came out in 1910 Ooh. and is a vegetarian cookbook. Yes! So I'm Someday giving, I will go back to vegetarianism. <laughs> I will give you the recipe <laughs> for coleslaw. Oh, yay. I nice. like coleslaw. So you need one medium exactly. cabbage, shredded. Gross. <laughs> This is why I don't like coleslaw. It's the cabbage. <laughs> one green pepper chopped. Okay. One cup of white vinegar. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of vinegar. Okay. One teaspoon of salt. One teaspoon of celery seed. I like celery seed. One chopped onion, medium size, I would assume. Mm. One cup of sugar. Interesting. Three cups of vegetable oil. Okay. And one tablespoon of dry mustard. If we could just replace the cabbage. <laughs> it's surprisingly good on a hot dog. So, I don't understand so what it, you're saying is. is one entire head of broccoli. Nope. <laughs> Ode does not like broccoli at all. Nope. Cabbage would be preferable to Ode than broccoli. <laughs> to broccoli. If I had to pick one, yeah. It is a personal preference. So anyway, you're going to spread the cabbage, the onion, and the green pepper in a flat casserole dish, and you're going to sprinkle it with the sugar. Okay. Okay, the sugar in this case acts like salt and like sugar. So it acts like salt in that it draws out the moisture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of the cabbage and the green pepper and the the onion, but it helps it also be a little bit sweeter. Hmm. So normally you would spread salt on that to draw out all of the... But that would be too much. The moisture, Mm. so you put sugar on it and it gives you a little bit of sweetness to it. I like coleslaw, but I'm a German girl, so... You're going to combine all the the other ingredients in a saucepan. You're going to bring it to a boil. Okay. You're going to pour it over the cabbage mixture and you're going to let it stand for two hours, stir and refrigerate. And that's fucking it. Personally, it's very I, like, simple. I, like, I like thins. That. It's mix that shit up and boom, coleslaw. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Scuba says, like the threefold law, I feel like coleslaw is for other people. <laughs> <laughs> it is a personal preference. <laughs> I think that's everything. Yeah, I don't. No, I think we've covered. Right. We've, we've done we, an overview. We've done an overview. But it is an interesting topic that I think 
it's important for us as individuals right. to I think explore. The, what, it, what it comes down to is, if, unfortunately, you're a solitary. Unfortunately, yeah. Especially if you're a solitary and you don't have a tradition that's just going to give you a set of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no commandments in paganism. Nope. As it, like a, in the umbrella. We don't have a pope. Your individual tradition might have rules, but we as a whole community don't. That's right. So you're going to have to figure out what morality looks like for you. Other people may not agree with you. If your morals are sufficiently negative to the community, you'll just be removed from it. And, uh, and that's the breaks. And I yeah. want to say this out loud because I did not do a good job of this as a human being, but do not uh, try to apply your moral system to your children. They Challenge will, it. They will develop their own. Yeah. You can give guidance. Oh, give yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you absolutely should give guidance. And especially when they're especially when they're very young and yeah. haven't learned any yet. Your, your job obviously is to is to train and, and to show them the way, but ultimately, <laughs> yeah, you want to give them uh, the option to make their yeah, own choices as they grow up. Give and them develop. the tools they need to decide what morality looks like for them. All right, so that's it for this episode, right? Yep, yep, All I right. think that's yep. it. I think that's so if you want to find out more information about us, there's fucking Google. Use it. <laughs> Huh? <laughs>